0: Money Show. Small Business.
1: Small Business Feature brought to you by Ned Bank. Make taking your business to the next level happen with small business focus. Make things happen. Ned Bank, Tony Balshaw, is managing partner of Mazar's East London. Evening. Nice
2: to be on the show with you. Nice to see you.
1: Last time we chatted, you were incredulous about the fact that the new B-E codes were dropping triple B-E as an important component. The DTI pulled back from the brink of chaos and stupidity.
2: Correct, absolutely, and they withdrew that in its entirety, but there's so many other aspects to BE that are almost unplayable at this stage, needing explanations. We're waiting on these sector codes to come through, so it, it's very tough. That's how I actually got into um, BE was, because of family businesses and people being concerned about the impact that it was going to have on family business. Let's talk broadly about family business. I mean, BE is a
1: subject for another day. We've asked you particularly to talk about family business and I mean, Anglo-American was once a family business. It was sure, the, the Oppenheimer Oppenheim yeah, family absolutely. business. Most 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 businesses surely in the world start out as some form of family enterprise.
2: All businesses start out small if you think of it. Yes, they require over over time, but they've they've all started off off small. And usually you've got this um, entrepreneurial pioneer that starts up the business as a mixture of chaos and exhilaration. And um, the business grows. And um, then – as time goes on, suddenly you find you need to transition, you need to professionalize the business. That startup phase gets replaced by systems and procedures and controls and all the rest of it. And that's when they need to bring people alongside them to assist them. And then how do you handle the transition? There's so many families, though, get caught in the trap that this is a family
1: business, and Johnny and Michael and Sees where they have my kids, they need to come into the business and. Some family businesses work that way and work well. They put guys into the packing shed and into the factory and learn the basics. Right. And those traditionally can work quite well. Can.
2: That can. Again, it depends on the size of business and the type of business. And, you know, we rather advocate that people actually go out and get career-related experience and that they choose to go their own route and you rather bring in professional management. And should it suit a family member to come and work in the business? Because remember, you've got a role confusion often. You've got emotion-based family system overlapping with the task-based system. And so what you find is the family is often in the overlap of those systems. Rather saying, okay, if they choose to bring their career into the family business, well, that's good for them. But otherwise, we can bring outsiders and professionals into that, then you need to start looking at ownership. And ownership is a responsibility that even if you're not involved in the business, you need to be responsible owners. And that's the continuity and succession that one needs to plan for.
1: There's the old saying that, you know, the the first generation builds it, the second generation sort of consolidates it, and the third generation drives it into the ground. Yeah, absolutely. And that is a global pattern, isn't
2: it? Absolutely. Shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves or clogs to clogs in three generations. And I've actually got a slide which talks about the various nationalities, rags to riches, to rags, etc. So, what you're doing is you're going from a single entrepreneurial business, then into a sibling partnership, and then you get to the cousins' level. And unless you've planned and structured, because remember, at the cousins' level, they've grown up in different households. The spouses have had an influence on that. Whereas for the siblings, the founding generation has significant influence over them. But the problem usually occurs, and the trigger is usually the heart attack. When the senior generation disappears and suddenly now, how do they deal with these issues? And that's where structures and learning to communicate is so important.
1: Uh, You talk about third generation being the cousins and the spouses. And family businesses are peculiar in this way because everybody feels a sense of entitlement to participate.
2: Mm,
1: mm. Um, And that's the multiple influences can, I suppose, provide a wonderful tapestry of perspective
2: they also uh, go bad. Yeah, but absolutely. What you find is that the senior generation actually treat their family business as a family piggy bank. So what they do is they continue to reinvest the money in the business. When they need money, they simply take it out of the out of the business. It may work in the second generation. But usually they will have deferred for a lot of their lives to the senior generation in terms of being fair in that. By the time you get to the third generation, if they start raiding the family piggy bank, the business is going to go pear-shaped.
1: It comes to a question of values, I suppose, and first-generation values rub off on the second generation. That gets horribly diluted by third generation.
2: Yes, that's why it's so important to look. Is there a shared dream and are there shared values? Just to continue a family business when there's no shared dream and values in terms of going forward doesn't make sense.
1: Do people still, and I don't know if this is a a question that applies generations back, maybe it still happens now, where there's an expectation of the founder that their children will come up through the business. Um, They may be a butcher and they want Mm. their child to be a butcher, but their child wants to be an actor or wants to be a playwright or wants to be an accountant. The last thing they want to do is carve up carcasses all day, yet the family pressure is there. To join the business. Look what we've built. This, this this made you who you are.
2: Yeah, it's this legacy that's been created and it's an opportunity for you to come in. But the family businesses really worked are those that have gone out, pursued their own lives and careers. Sometimes they've gone out and pursued medicine, for example. And we've got a listed company in South Africa now where the CEO is actually a, um, a, a medical doctor. That, is, um, that came into the family business and he's actually done exceedingly well. You're not so, talking about Jonathan Lowe at Adcock Ingram? I'm not Ingram about anybody in it's
1: not, not a family business and he <laughs> is left and he was a medical doctor. Okay, I'm, I'm yeah. thinking, I'm thinking.
2: But, you know, this whole thing of primogeniture, the, the notion of the eldest male sibling taking over, I think in less developed societies and in rural communities you may find that, but I, I think we've more sophisticated generally in business in, in South Africa to find this, that people recognize the need to rather bring appropriate skills um, into the business. I
1: mean, Andrew Golding, for example, went out, became a medical doctor, and came back to run the Pam Golding family Correct. empire. The business has grown ex- exponentially.
2: Exceptionally well, and, and particularly on the marketing arm of the business. Mm-hmm. They've shared the roles and functions in that particular family.
1: He's got an older brother in there as well. A Peter, yeah. a Peter, There so, we go. Um, I met a guy from Canada once who's written books on family businesses, and he says the only way for family businesses to remain intergenerationally successful is if the next generation buys the business from the previous generation they've got to want that business enough to be prepared to pay pay for it they can inherit the money they paid for the business when the time comes but they've got to be willing to put up their cash they've got to be willing there must be no entitlement there must be no it's due to me Mm. and if you don't care enough about the business you won't be prepared to pay for it and then the business can be sold, or professional managers brought in. Yeah,
2: you see the issues family businesses face are similar, but they've got to find their own unique solution to the issues. And I've had families, and I have families right now where, they, where they've done that, and it's, it's worked, and there's no problem problem with that. But one mustn't try and say, well, it worked for this particular family, therefore it's going to be work for another family. They've got to understand what the issues are in terms of succession and continuity planning, the emotion based system, the separation of roles in terms of remuneration. Um, you know, there are people earn more market related remuneration which is different from a dividend. So if loans have been paid out and suddenly to achieve a certain advantage that does not mean that the cash is physically paid out and that repayment of the loan is a form of dividend that's been paid. Again goes back to the point of the the family piggy bank. This isn't your place to plan Correct. Absolutely. It it must run like it is. Treat family as family and business as business. Mm. Um, And then they'll be successful. But what's very important are these structures because people don't generally communicate well. And if you're the John Wayne who founded the business with all the knowledge, expertise, experience is centralized in one person, you're not very good at passing it on and communicating.
1: Is that deliberate or is it just uh, uh, the founder so concerned that if they give away the secrets, they will become irrelevant?
2: No, I think it's very innate within them. They may have done an MBO, bought out the other shareholders, and suddenly now they're the John Wayne. They're in charge of the business. And they struggle to let go. They struggle to hand over. And this is why one needs to look at putting in place, for example, the Family Shareholders Committee developing a let's tree. get
1: on to the structures in just a bit because that's important rod jones in lone hill thanks for your sms uh, rod jones i was one of the 15 joneses in the jetmaster fireplaces empire i should write a book about family synergy Jeez, rod if you could write it warts and all i'd love to read it
2: <laughs> family wars
1: peter in plumstead give us your views on small family business peter
0: um, good evening. I own a very small business um, and it's I run it myself. I've got four employees and one day a business guy said to me, what is your exit plan? So I said, my, my three-year-old daughter, eventually when she grows up. And he said to me, he gave me some very good advice. He said, if you want your daughter to take over the business, he said, always talk positive about your business and that will make your business, your family business stay in the family. If you come home and talk ill of your day all the time, nobody would want your job. And I, I, you know, I've i taken heed of that, and I'm actually just always positive about my work.
1: But does it also affect your mindset, Peter? You've had a lousy day, but you've got to find something positive to share when you get home, and that must affect your overall mindset about your business and what uh, you've got.
0: Um, Yes, I do. Um, you know, I'm a very positive person, as is. If somebody asks, how are you? I say, I'm always well, thank you very much. Um, and, you know, I just am a positive person by, by nature. I enjoy working with people. And... You know, yeah, so it's, it does rub off on my, rubs off on, my um, on my staff.
2: Brilliant. Peter, thanks very much. Peter and Plums, Dad. Nice trick. Absolutely. That's fantastic. The danger is that people get into their 40s and they suddenly realize this wasn't for them. And that's where the angst happens. If they Should they exit the business at the age of 40? Dad's now sitting in his, say, 70s, mid-70s. He's getting a bit old to be able to actually run the business. But certainly, you know, to speak positively about this, this is an opportunity. It's a legacy that he's there but then let them choose whether they want to actually have that as their career choice
1: yeah and make make the choice very clear make it yeah, yeah, you can have it or you don't have to have it you don't have to take it over yeah there isn't uh you're not duty bound because if somebody's duty bound they run the risk of failure and the legacy is dead
2: anyway yeah and, and 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 the inheritance in terms of the wealth and that that still can happen in other forms <laughs>
1: the Professional, professionalization or prefer, mm. professionalism in this workplace where there's, there's some family businesses where the children will call their dad chairman, um, and things like that, just to define right. what the conversation's about. Is that sort of stuff important?
2: Absolutely. You actually, I have different color hats. And I say, all right, so this is a red cap issue. It's an ownership issue. It's an important issue. And we're going to deal with that. And we need to have those lenses when we talk. We can have a green cap, which is family. So the family might be sitting there talking. Let's not. And, and the danger is that there's so much talk about business, they can't get away from it. And so there's a lot of complaints um, that might come from a spouse or something that the dinner conversations are all about the business. And then in terms of the actual um, career in the business, there might be a, a blue cap issue or a Management issue. Those are the day-to-day issues. So that a person can um, still be a member of the family, still be uh, an active only in the business, but not necessarily involved in their career. Okay, got you. Um, shareholders committees. Right. Um, management committees,
1: boards, family committees. I mean, are these different things?
2: Right. Size matters, clearly, in in, in terms of that. So it depends on on, on the size of the business. But what one's got to do is to create the environment where people can talk. So what are our joint goals as owners? What return on capital do we want? Who should be at the helm of the business? How can we have these conversations? Usually that's limited to the bloodline family members, and they would meet in a family shareholders committee meeting. A family council, you would start nurturing in the younger generation and in the spouses, the understanding what the business is all about. Why does it take? Why is there so much commitment required? So it's like a required? subcommittee almost. It's, it's a separate committee. Okay. It's got a separate role. You might go away once or twice a year and you have a fun time together and you learn about the business. And families are amazed. These are our products. This is how we operate. This is in our DNA. These are our values that we espouse as a business. And then what are the the, the, the family values? And is there an over- overlap of those? And then when you get into the larger family, it becomes complex. In terms of philanthropy, the business's philanthropy might be different from on the family's philanthropy so we'd call it socio-economic development yeah. in, in, in the company uh, whereas the philanthropy and now it should it be as the collector that we evolved in philanthropy or as our different family units so we need to have all those, those conversations and sometimes they're very very tough issues rather record those issues have conversations and then say, okay that's a tough issue let's carry that forward
1: when does a family business bring somebody like you in um, an outsider after World War 3 breaks out when world war 3 is imminent or on day 2 of the first child's
2: involvement in the family <laughs> business.
1: Uh, because
2: it, I tell you what, the norm is the norm is you know, were we'll missiles are flying and, and that's happening. <laughs> Let's get this character Belshire in. And then what you find is they actually triangulate through you in terms of dealing with each other on, uh, rather you than the direct issue. You see the best side of people. Amazing things that you see. But optimally, and I've worked with families, so they said, listen, these kids are 12, 13. Um, and I've got some that have been working for 20 years now you know they're, they're sitting in their 30s but they remember the time when they were real youngsters actually sitting there and being introduced and you make it a fun thing and you show some of the films and, and that type of thing and they see some of the products and start hearing the stories the conversations happening uh, and it's not tough for them but once they start getting into their early 20s and so on actually they become part of that family council and then the family shareholders assembly a family that would usually be by branch and then they would have the branch representative and somebody from the next generation actually sitting in the meeting how do you stop the next generation from being precocious trust fund kid types entitled i think it's by teaching values from when they're they're, Mm. they're very young so that they actually learn from the pocket money days and all the rest of it that this isn't just the family piggy bank that you know and and managing the wealth and a lot of very wealthy families have got that right in terms of managing managing the wealth. The danger is that, that people see the capital. And what you find is family money, is patient money, as you said earlier. Yeah. The, the senior generation being frugal, they've continued to reinvest in the business to grow the business. The danger is that you use pay to achieve emotional aims. So rather differentiate and so say we're going to pay market-related salaries. These are the dividends that are being paid. Let them understand what a dividend is. Mm. Non-family members who come into family businesses – that's got to
1: be blimmin' hard because you're the outsider mm. and suddenly we need your help. You're the professional. We need an MD. Come in.
2: Correct. Yeah.
1: And you don't know who upset who around the, uh, the, the Christmas tree when yeah. there were six. Yeah.
2: And that you can also be in the firing range as well. So these people need to have strong egos. And they need to know exactly who they are and they need to be able to, to put up with the, the family dynamics, understand what the family values are. So when I work with a family, we often develop a family creed. These are values we wish to continue for the foreseeable future with this being a family business. Then what are our structures that we're actually going to put in place and the rules that we're going to play by? And when it's articulated in a document like that, then you review that every two to three years. You get the next generation involved in actually developing that.
1: Is it worth it? it? Is family business
2: worth it? It's, it's sound, hard work. It sounds no,
1: like fun. days of our lives and the, and
2: generations rolled into one. Yeah, but that tremendous sense of commitment, the family names that, that that's at stake here, the reputation that, that is there, the opportunity. If the next generation is going to start that business on and all that startup energy and effort, whereas this business has got a momentum. So let's rather deal with these issues um, in a proactive manner and it's going to take time. And it's quite interesting. What about those? that are at our university how yeah. do you bring them in
1: Tony Balshaw managing partner of Mazazi Standard a specialist as you can hear an impassioned specialist on family business countless issues and yeah your family business may be going through the trials and tribulations but also the joys of course of creating something great Ackermans it's a family business it's not yeah. Ackermans the shop it was a family business um, but pick and pay I mean there's some great South African family business. huge